0: come on. There you go. There you go. Who's excited to be a new life today? Let me hear you. Come on. Woo. Man, I'm not a good slow clapper, so I was going to go. But then I just like forget that. Let's just get right to the heart of the issue. We're clapping to be excited. That's what we're doing. Let's just get there. I want to say welcome to you guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you're a guest here with us, yes, we are that strange. Um, I just wanted you to know that just right off the bat. That way you weren't worried about it, okay? And um, that way you can just embrace it. No, I'm just joking about that. But we love Jesus here. We're excited about worshiping uh, together. We're excited for all those who are worshiping with us online. We're one church in hundreds of locations still to this day. So we've got our North Platte campus, Ogallala campus, and then all of these household campuses that are scattered all over the place, way beyond Nebraska and multiple different states, possibly internationally, or at least that's what we hear on some emails and things. So I have no idea, but I just want to say thank you to everybody who's worshiping with us. If you ever choose to take this broadcast and use it in some kind of micro church site in some place in the United States or around the world, we would love to know about it so we can resource you, we can help you, we can help make disciples of Jesus Christ wherever it is that you're using ministry tools like this and so many others. So, thank you guys so much for being a part of what's going on. We are in a current teaching series entitled God of the Impossible, all right? It's out of the book of Daniel. So, if you have your Bible, you're going to want to you're going to want to flip open to Daniel chapter 4. We're taking each chapter through the first 6 chapters, okay? So, what that means for you is that you can easily study ahead. And I would love for you to do that because the more you walk in with God's word already in your heart, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. Okay, I remember my dad a long time ago telling me this on a ride to high school when I had a really, really difficult test that day. And I said, Dad, would you pray for me? Now look, as a teenager asking your dad to pray for you, you think that that sounds super spiritual, You know, you're thinking like, I'm going to earn some serious brownie points for this one, but instead my dad turns around and he says to me this, did you study for the test? And I was like, I did. He goes, well, then I will pray because if you didn't study, what do you expect the Holy Spirit to use? And I was like, okay, you got me, man. All right, you got, you you got me, you got me. And that's the same thing that we're dealing with here. We get God's Word into our heart. The Holy Spirit has something to work with inside of our lives. Daniel chapter 4 is where we're at today. That means that next week we'll be at Daniel chapter 5. You guys are a sharp group of people. And just to test those who are online, two weeks from now we'll be on Daniel chapter what? Eight. 6. That is right. Whoever said 8 is completely wrong. <laughs> um, but feel free to read there. All right, but we'll be cutting it off at six. So that's kind of where we're going with this series. Uh, and it, it's awesome because in each chapter, there's this moment where man seems to think, wow, this is impossible. And whenever man think, thinks that something's impossible, then they're devaluing the God of the impossible. And that's kind of where we're at. You know, throughout history, that's what's happened though. If, if you've been around church or you've studied history... Then you would know, even all the way back in the book of Genesis, there was a tower that man was trying to build, the Tower of Babel, right, trying to overcome the limitations of man, thinking that there is no possible way this could ever be destroyed. You know what you can't find today? You can't find the Tower of Babel. And God showed up in a powerful way and he says, you know what, that's a a great name for it. I'm going to make all of you guys babble in different languages and spread out all over the earth. Uh, and that's, that's where you get the origins of all of these different languages. I think that's pretty amazing. In, in the book of Daniel, though, you've got this Babylonian empire that is now ruling with King Nebuchadnezzar. They, they thought that the Babylonian empire was never going to end. But a short 130 years later, the Babylonian empire was conquered by the Medo-Persian empire ...who stepped in and they thought we would never end as well. They lasted a few, you know, a couple of hundred years... ...and then the Greek empire with Alexander the Great shows up on the scene... They think they're never going to end. They last for you know about 300 years, and then the Roman Empire shows up in you know, AD 31, and they conquer the Greeks, and they take over, thinking the fact that they will never end. That's impossible. We're too strong, but where is the Roman Empire today? It's gone as well. And now we've got this superpower called America that thinks to itself, like, we will never end. We're better than all of that. We're better than all of history. We're better than all of the past empires that have come, one after another after another that conquered each other. There's something different about us, isn't there? That's the way man thinks. Man always thinks that while his time and his era is alive on earth, that nothing can ever conquer it, even down to the finite aspect of your own home and your own life. Too wealthy to have any problems. I'm too healthy. That can never be taken away from me. My success is too great, right? My comfort is exactly the way I like it. And my life, the way I see it, will always be this way. Guys, that is the very essence of what we're dealing with today. This problem where man thinks that, you know, what we've built could never be destroyed or taken away from us and that the essence of all of that is pride because we serve a God who says this, let your pride build whatever castle you want, but I want you to know that I come against pride and I'm the God of the impossible. I can tear down any empire. I can tear down any kingdom. I can tear down really anything that you've tried to build up with pride and say, it will last forever. No one can ever take it away from me. Look how good and powerful I am. And the God of the impossible goes, oh yeah? Yeah. Just wait a minute, stay right there for a second, let me show you myself. Now that's not the best news in the world that you wanted to hear today, but as we're tracking through Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 is definitely a chapter that's dealing with the issue of pride and the arrogance that lives inside of the heart of man who thinks to himself, I'm invincible. And this arrogance, if we're all honest, can we just be open and honest today? Can we do that for a moment? This arrogance really lives in all of us. It's not just in Daniel chapter 4. It's not just in all those past empires. Okay, It's alive inside of you and me. And Arrogance and pride, it shows up in four key categories. You're going to find this alive inside of your life or trying to come alive inside of your life in one of these four main areas. The pride of spirituality. The pride of spirituality is detrimental to the cause of Jesus Christ on planet Earth today. It, it's what causes one church to oppose another church that happens to believe that Jesus Christ is the leader and the Lord of the, of the world. And he died on the cross and he gave up his life for, for them. And sure, they might have some other minor things that they disagree with. But it causes people that should be unified together to oppose one another. Now, gracefully, in, this, in the community of Kearney where we're at right now, we have an incredible ministerial relationship with a number of churches that are all working together to try to build one another up. We at New Life, we don't think we're any better than our friends at First Baptist down the road. We don't think that we're any better than our friends at EFree down the road. We believe that we are better together. We believe that we are working together to accomplish what God called us to do, which is to reap an incredible harvest of the lost in the community of Kearney, and there isn't any one church that can do it alone. But that's not alive in every community. And we should be very thankful that we have that here in Kearney because wherever you're watching from right now, you might not have that. It's a blessing that we talk about often, even as we got together this past week, to plan for this night of prayer and reconciliation and to, you know, let the church actually speak into this issue of racism that's been alive, you know, for generations, Let's speak into it. Let's not be silent about it. Let's, let's come at it from God's word and his perspective. Let's be a unified voice. And those kind of things are powerful, but you can oppose one another, and that becomes detrimental because I'm better than you. My doctrine is right, and your doctrine is wrong, as if we know everything about God. <laughs> Who could ever know everything about God, guys? Okay, Okay, you think you do. Okay, all right. I thought I was kind of making a joke there. Well, you guys are taking this serious. You guys might want to look at the pride of spirituality. No, I'm just joking, okay. The other thing that happens inside of the church is that we look across the seats from one another. I'm more spiritual than they are. Look at that person. They can't even keep their can't even keep their marriage together. Look at that person. Look at what happened to their kids. That's a huge one. Look at what happened to their kids. They they weren't really all that spiritual. People in church get to this point where they go, you know what, I'm just not getting fed here. I need to go to a church that, that speaks something about the deeper things of God. You know what the deepest thing of God is right now, for anybody who's saying that? Salvation. You go tell me something deeper than salvation for a second. Is all the world saved? Because until all the world's saved, then we're not, we really don't need to go any farther than that. Oh, there's a lot more about God. I get it. But until we are the greatest evangelist that's ever walked on planet Earth, we probably don't need a whole lot more than just do you understand salvation? Do you know it and can you communicate it to others? Who have you led to the Lord, by the way? That's the deep things of God. Oh, but I'm just not being fed. Pride. Pride. Welling up. The pride of spirituality. How about the pride of knowledge? That's a huge one. You know, our country is smarter than your country, my race is better than your race, we know more than you know, right? We've got more resources than you know. The pride of knowledge, look at what's behind my name in my degree, which, what what do you have? Oh, you only have some college, You guys ever fill out those applications where it wants to know, like it might be a financial one, and it gets to that question about your education, it goes, you know, you have no high school, you know, degree, high school degree, some college, associate's degree, on and on and on and on, you know what I'm saying? Like they want to kind of know, doctorate, PhD, I'm smarter than you, I know more than you. How about the pride of power? Power corrupts often, right? I'm the leader I'm, pride, I'm prideful about that. Not in a good way. I'm prideful about it in a controlling way, in a domineering way. The power, the pride of power, the pride of appearance. The pride of appearance. If there's one pride that I deal with more than any of those other prides, would definitely be the pride of appearance. I think that I care way too much about what other people, you know, think when they look at me. Just, can I just be, because I know you you guys probably don't have any pride in you. So I'll just be the first one to like you know, lay, lay it down. I, I care way too much about that. I care way too much, even about the details of what people what people see when they come into this place. And it's more than just my my you know desire for excellence and perfection. There's something inside of me that wants to be perceived in a certain way. And if I give into that, it's detrimental to me and it's detrimental to you. And I have. And, I, and that's something I have to fight on a regular basis. See, we all have a pride that we have to fight, but you're going to basically find your prides coming into probably one of those four basic categories. And we, but we're, and, and as a whole, though, we're, typically we're a humble group of people. Come on, turn to the person next to you and just say this to them. I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> right? Typically, we are a humble people, though, guys. The problem is that our pride is allowed, unless we're willing to confess it, our pride's allowed to secretly live in the confines of our heart many times. When I was talking about the pride of spirituality, some of you were going, that's not me, but then secretly you're going, yes, that is me. Or the pride of anything. And secretly, we have the ability to portray ourselves in one way, externally, but believe something completely different internally. And that's a detrimental thing that all of us can live with. But what I want you to know is this. It's not going unnoticed by the one that matters most, God. You can hide it from me, but you can't hide it from him. And God has some very strong things when speaking about pride. Some very strong opinions God has about pride. So what I have done is I've taken the liberty to make a compilation of multiple scriptures we're going to put this up on the screen. What I would encourage you to do, if you don't have YouVersion, and you're not following me right now with, uh, with your iPhone or your Android phone or your Google phone or whatever it is, and you're not on version right now with you know the sermon, the sermon notes and those kind of things, I would invite you to take your phone out, take a picture of what I'm getting ready to throw up onto the screen because I'm getting ready to give you a compilation that's going to help you understand what is God's heart towards this issue of pride. Take a look. At this compilation it says this right the god opposes resists abhors, tears down brings down has scattered is scornful too reprimands will punish is angry at every arrogant person those who have a proud look those whose pride wells up arrogant scoffers the prideful man will be brought low, humiliated, disgraced, doomed, destroyed, humbled, and will not go unpunished, was disposed from his royal throne, and his honor was removed. Leave that up for a second. Take a picture of all those scriptures because you can go back and you can read all those scriptures and that's where you're going to find the compilation. What does it tell you really about the heart of God towards pride? It's pretty clear, isn't it? He, that God opposes He resists. He's going to tear down. He's going to bring down. He's going to reprimand. He's going to punish. He's angry at every arrogant person. There's something about pride that God goes, Look, if you want the stiff arm from me, operate and let your heart be a prideful heart. And that's what we find in Daniel chapter 4. We see a prideful king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's got this incredible pride welled up inside of his heart, and we see a loving God who's willing to do anything and everything he can to rescue the king from his pride. And spoiler alert, God's crazy, impossible plan actually works. Don't want to spoil it for you, but that's what happens. You're going to see a man full of pride and a God full of love, willing to do anything this is this. anything that he does is a great example of this compilation of the scriptures that I just gave you. So let's look at it together. Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar is now quoted for most of the chapter. Daniel's the one that's writing it. He quotes King Nebuchadnezzar for basically the entire chapter. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar had just seen something that basically blew his mind away. He he had just seen for the maybe the first time in his entire life this God of the impossible work when he, he threw three Jewish young men into a fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to his 90-foot tall statue, basically of himself declaring himself as one of the gods. And he throws them into the fire, only to discover that they thrived in the fire and that they came out of it, that there was four in the fire, not three. And they came out of it. They didn't even smell like smoke. None of their, none of their hairs were burnt on top of their head. He's just been blown away. So he sees God now as the highest of gods. But he also continues to worship all of his other gods. It's just that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel now superseded. All of the other gods. So he's polytheistic is what we would call it. He's a man who worships multiple gods at any given moment based on what he thinks is going to benefit him the most. But he doesn't really see the God that you and me know. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who spoke and all of creation exists. And there is no equal to him. He doesn't see God as we're talking about and what we worship. He doesn't see him as, you know, sitting on the throne all by himself. He sees him as battling with other gods. He sees him as one of many. But now he understands that he might just be the most powerful that he's discovered, actually, at this moment. But he's still open to the idea that there might be another god who's more powerful than this god. So I'm not going to just sell out to one god when I've got multiple gods, polytheism, that I can worship any god that I want to. And so he writes these words that we're not to be duped or fooled by in Daniel chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. He says, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. If you just read that and you didn't know the backstory, you might assume hey, this guy, this guy's for us. Like, this guy is a godly king. But when you look at the rest of the story, even in Daniel chapter 4, you quickly begin to understand that, no, he's not this godly king. He can sound right on the outside, but on the inside here, he's very much corrupt, which is the piece that God looks at. And guys, any of us could be in this situation right now. We're here at church today, we could say these words. We're here at church today, we're going to worship with these words, by the way. But on the inside of us, it's a whole different person. Which one does God care about the most? The fact that you're here today and you know the right words to say, or that your heart is lined up with him in the proper way? And I'm just going to tell you right now, you don't get a chance to dupe the God of the impossible. He sees our hearts, guys. It's nothing to, it's nothing to be like fearful of in the sense of like, oh no, what am I going to do about it? But it is something to be fearful of in the sense of he knows a fearful awe of the power and authority of God that should cause us to kneel down and repent and come back to the very heart of God because this is inside of all of us. So you soon start to see that the inside of King Nebuchadnezzar is what starts to really rule him. God's trying to get his attention. So God gives him this dream that frightens him in the middle of the night. The dream is about this it's three parts to the dream the first part is the visual he sees this large tree coming out from the center of the earth and it grows so tall that all of humanity on known earth can see it that its branches with its beautiful leaves and all of its fruit fruit of many different kinds by the way are spreading out over the earth and they're providing shade to the animals and food to all who are on the earth and the leaves there are bright green Right, they are beautiful. And it's this tree that everybody can see. It's this massive thing. Part two of the of the dream: an angel comes and speaks these words in the midst of all of this beauty, wonder, and awe on earth. Tear down the tree and lop off its branches, but leave leave the stump and its roots, and bind them in iron and bind them in bronze. You can only imagine this starts to frighten King Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of his sleep. But then part three really starts to get his attention. Because part three, the angel transitions in their speech away from the tree to the man. And the tree represents the man. And and the angel says this, "...now let him be drenched with the dew of the earth, and let him live with the wild animals for seven periods of time, seven years." Let him have the mind of a wild beast instead of a human. And lastly, the angel said these powerful words. The Holy One has commanded this. So the king wakes up in one of those frightful dream, terror kind of situations, somewhat clammy. You know, breathing hard. That moment where you wake up with the jerk kind of a thing. You guys know what I'm talking about. You don't have to have a dream to do that. I woke up the other day, I thought I jerked my arm right off my body, right? It's like, wow, ow. I actually pulled muscles. Have you ever pulled a muscle in the middle of sleeping? You know, that's a bad moment right there, Right, He wakes up like that. He's tense, probably pulled a muscle somewhere, right? He, he's in pain, he's in anguish, and he calls all of his magicians around, and he goes, look, here's the dream, tell me what it means, but none of them can tell him what it means, So then he gets Daniel, and Daniel comes and he goes, Look, king, I know what the dream means, but you're not going to like it. You're definitely not going to like it. He goes, Hey, look, I want you to tell me. Tell me what it means. So Daniel goes ahead and he tells him what it means. Daniel chapter 4, verse 24. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the most high God, God of all gods, has declared will happen to my lord the king. You'll be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild beasts, with the wild animals, right? You will eat grass like a cow and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time, seven years of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and he alone gives them to anyone he chooses, But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. When you've learned it. When the pride is gone. When you've given it up. Now look, here's what's interesting about God, guys. This is is what's interesting the way God deals with your pride and my pride. He didn't immediately do this. The Bible clearly tells us that it was 12 months later. Everyone say 12 months a whole year later, King Nebuchadnezzar is all kicked back, relaxed, pride keeps growing in his heart. And it says that 12 months later, he's walking on the flat rooftop of his palace, observing the mighty city of Babylon. When out of his mouth comes these words in verse 30. In verse 30, right, thank you, appreciate that. Look at the great city of Babylon, right? Right? By, would you just read this with me just so that you can kind of really feel it, okay? I'll read, I'll read. let me read this. One. Look at the great city of Babylon. Read this next part with me. By my, every time it's a personal, I want you to exaggerate it, right? So by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. That's what has been living in his heart. That's what was there. God knew it. He may have never spoke these words to anyone else, but God knew it. He thought he was walking on the rooftop alone. No one was there as he's just taking it all in. Look what I've built. Oh, man, I'm powerful. Look what I've built. Oh, man, I've got so much knowledge. Oh, look what I've built. It's all about me. It's for my splendor when people see this they see how great i am it's about my appearance it's even about my spirituality that i i am the ruler here i am the supreme authority here he thought he was alone on the rooftop but he was not because why because we all know we serve the god of the impossible and so right after he speaks these words here's what comes next in verse 31 While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, remember 12 months ago? This message is for you. You're no longer, I love this part. Like, hey, oh, King, a voice from heaven. A voice from heaven, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. This message is for you. As if, King Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, can you get the guy's attention to your right? I got something to say to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You're no longer ruler of this kingdom. You'll be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Remember, God's now the one speaking, speaking this to him. Seven periods of time will pass away, pass while you, while you live this way, until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone that he chooses, continue on, that same hour. Someone say, Hour. One hour, guys. You know how long we're going to spend here? One hour. I mean, God willing, I mean, look, the sermon could go long, okay? But one hour. In this time period that we're going to spend here, the same hour the judgment was fulfilled And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. I have no idea how long that is. And his nails were like bird's claws. I got a good idea about that. In one hour, guys, you know what this tells me? First off, this when God speaks, when God speaks about pride, he's serious about pride. He's serious about it. He's serious about it in his heart here in this passage. He's serious about it in your heart and my heart. Secondly, secondly, God's serious about eradicating pride from our lives. And he's willing to out of his own love, by the way. Okay? Out of his disgrace and hate towards pride, he's willing to take a man, Nebuchadnezzar, and in one hour remove him from his throne of the greatest empire known to man at that very moment ever to walk on the face of the earth and take him from the highest position that man could hold on planet earth, Okay, like being the president of the United States, and drop him all the way down to an animal that's eating grass in a field like a cow. You tell me that we don't serve the God of the impossible. You tell me that God's not serious about pride. If God will remove him from his throne, he'll definitely remove me from mine, and that means he'll remove you from yours. Why, though? Because pride builds a wall up that causes us to trust in us instead of him. What does God want us to do? He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to find our allegiance with him, not in ourselves. He wants us to say, God, look what you have built. You know the right response on that rooftop from the king would have been this? God, look what you have done. If he truly was the most high, look what you've done. Look what you've built. All of this is for your splendor. Use it for your glory. Use all of these resources to advance your purpose and your kingdom in my day while I have breath. Use me, God. Let me be a part of it. But if not, God, use it all. It's all for your glory. It's all for your fame, God. It's all for your honor. I praise you and I worship you. That would have been the right response. But instead... Everything that King Nebuchadnezzar had built was destroyed in his leadership in one hour. Guys, we're nothing compared to an all-powerful mighty God. So what do we do? How do we break this curse of pride within us? Let me give you a few thoughts. First, let's follow what Daniel said to the king right off the bat. After he tells him the interpretation of the dream, he comes back and he says this. King, you need to repent. Meaning this, you're headed this direction and repenting is doing a 180 and going the other direction. That's what you need to do. Here's how he says it in verse 27. Take a look at this. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice, right? Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. I I can't speak for God, he's saying, but I know the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And guys, for you and me, it's kind of where we need to live. We need to live in this attitude of repentance on a daily basis. Guys, it's, it's when we get out of the habit of repenting regularly before God that pride takes its root. Pride s- sticks its head up above the ground. Pride keeps growing. Pride like a vine takes over your heart, takes over your mind, takes over your motives repentance and regular repentance is like a farmer who keeps taking his hoe and he keeps digging the weeds out of the field guys repentance digs the weeds of pride out of the field of our heart so that god can continue to reign and god can continue to rule one second it's a drink break but there's a lot more that we can learn if you got your bible i find these things highly interesting that the king, after he's walked through the seven years, okay, he walks through the seven years of letting pride die in his life, and he's got some incredible lessons to teach us. Let me point out a few of them. Go with me to verse 34. It says that after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and I looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, I praised and I worshiped the Most High, and I honored the one who lives forever. Then he says these words, which I believe are the antidote, okay, the antidote for pride. You hang on to these things that he's saying here, and they are the antidote that keeps eroding and destroying pride in your life. You lose perspective of these things, and pride starts to grow. Here's what he says, here's the antidote. He goes, look, here's what I've learned. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. That's what I've learned. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. What is it from that passage that God's really trying to drive home to you and to me? It's this very statement right here that we never should forget. I am finite, God is infinite. I'm finite, God's infinite. Guys, when we lose perspective of that, pride starts to grow in our lives. What does it mean to be I am finite? It means this, I have limits. I think about the, the earth God created, and I think about space. You know how much money it costs for us to live in space? I mean, just think about it. Just a few weeks ago, you know, SpaceX, you know, along with NASA, they launched astronauts back into um, you know, outer space, go to the International Space Station. It was an epic adventure. Um, it was amazing after a decade of, ne- you know, not having astronauts being launched into space from our soil, we do it and we do it in an epic fashion. It was incredible. It was really something to stand in awe of. But you know how much money it takes just to put one or two men or women into space and then to keep them there? Like, we've got limits, guys, all right? And I think God put those, those limits around us to remind us, look, you're finite, I'm infinite, That's one thing that you cannot forget if you want to eradicate pride out of your life. The second thing came in verse 35. King Nebuchadnezzar said, look, here's another thing that I've learned. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. We're nothing compared to him. And and this is where you've got to understand that this is the piece you can't forget. It says this, I am little, God is what? I'm little, God's big. Let's keep following my science example of space. You know, SpaceX has this dream, and so does NASA, and so does our, you know, president. Like, look, let's go back to the moon. Let's even get to Mars. Let's say that you were on the first spaceship to Mars. When you get to Mars and you turn back around, how big is Earth? How big is it? How big is Mars? That will help you understand right now. Mars is just what? A little red dot if you can find it in the sky. How big is Earth going to be when you get to Mars and you look back? A little blue dot in the sky if you can find it when you look back. We're still in our solar system. We haven't even got out of our solar system and explored our galaxy, much less get out of our galaxy and explore another galaxy. You know why I believe God made the universe so crazy big? is just to remind humanity, you're little, I'm big. If you can keep that in perspective, you can eradicate pride as it starts to raise its ugly head inside of all of our lives. Thirdly, King Nebuchadnezzar Told us, look, this is something that stood out to me, that God, he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him, or watch this, because some of you have said this recently. No one can stop him or say to him, God, what do you mean by doing these things? What do you mean by this? This is what we need to always keep in mind. I control nothing. God controls everything. And the more I keep reminding myself, "I control nothing, you control everything," then pride buries itself back into a place of death, so that the message of Jesus Christ can come alive inside of me and inside of you. Today was a reminder that when our pride secretly controls us, we start to believe that we're invincible. And then we secretly believe that it's impossible for God to ever bring me down. And I want you to know something today, that we serve, we serve the God of the impossible. And in one hour, he can, he can bring everything that you've created down. And he can do it because he loves you, just like he did for King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, one last word that I would say King Nebuchadnezzar teaches us as we get ready to go into a time of worship is this. Now I. And these are like the last words we even have of him in God's word. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. Watch this. All his acts are just and true. And he's able to humble the proud. All of his acts. When he, for seven years, when he took me and put me into a field and I ate the grass like cows ate. And for seven years, that act was just and true. I've understood now, at the end of my days, King Nebuchadnezzar and this deathbed transformation that takes place at the end of his days. I actually believe that one day you walk the streets of heaven, you'll run into King Nebuchadnezzar because he'll let pride finally die. he let all the other gods finally die He let himself as a God finally die, and he's now standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going, all your acts are just and true. Whatever you decide to do is right. Only you can humble the proud like you've humbled me. And so what does he do in light of the fact that it was painful, in light of the fact that he didn't like those seven years, in light of the fact of all that, what does he do? He says this to you and me, let's praise God let's glorify him and let's honor him and the more that we praise him and glorify him and honor him it keeps him on the throne and if he stays on the throne i can never get there and that's the right place for me there's no higher place than the foot of the cross for me guys there's no higher place for you than the foot of the cross right jesus died on the cross he gets the right to sit on the throne We worship him who sits on the throne. May God remove us from our throne so that we can give him glory, honor, and praise today. Why don't you stand with me and let's press in to God who humbles the proud and let's lift his name up and let's glorify his name above every other name, the name of Jesus, amen? Come on, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. We know that you are the God of the impossible. You work things that seem impossible to man, you, you do them with the, with the snap of your finger, you do them by uttering a, 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 the very essence of a word. You are all powerful. You are in control, I'm not in control. You have no limits. I have limits. I'm finite, but you are infinite. God, I'm little, you're big. All your acts are just and true, and Lord, you humble the proud. Lord, we lay our pride down right now. In whatever category it is, in our spirituality, in our knowledge, in our appearance, in our power, it doesn't matter, God. We lay it down today. We know that you resist the proud. There's anger in your heart towards the proud. God, we don't want to be those people We want the walls that pride builds to fall down so we can stand before you like King Nebuchadnezzar in his final days on this earth and say, I praise, I bring glory, and I bring honor to the Most High God. But we choose to lift your name up because you sit on the throne. May we be dethroned from our earthly thrones to worship you who sits on the all-powerful throne. Have your way inside of our lives. Rewire us. Transform us change the way we think, so Lord, that we would worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords, with the purity of our heart, and out of our mouth would speak the purity that lives inside of our hearts. So Lord, we love you, and we want you to have your way in our life today. And everybody said, amen.